You're listening to Meet Katie on Lowering the Tone. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Lowering the Tone with me, Meet Katie. Hopefully you all know what to expect. Two and a half hours underground electronica. This time round I caught up with Sid Chris, one of the founding members of the legendary sound camp Opulent Temple. Anyone that's been to Burning Man will know who they are. That's at the back end of the show. Right, we finally got the website up and running. How long did that take? And it's loweringthetone.london. Head over there. Remember, you need to subscribe if you want to track this thing for the show and be added to the main list. You should also check out, there's a forum button. If you click on that, it will take you to the Facebook group where you can chat with like-minded people about anything that's raised in the show, in the interviews, or just want to talk about music or even suggest some music for me to play. Talking of music, let's get on with the show.
This is Ben Coder and you're listening to Lowering the Tone with Meet Katie. shouts Elaine Teresa Jason F Cherry MCG it's great seeing you all last week in Hong Kong I wish I could have stayed longer and um, I'm sorry that I had the flu it's pretty rough weren't I and also Rudy and all the crew at Source Monbeat in Montpellier thank you for a cracking weekend that you supplied for me and Ben Coda a couple of weeks back that was awesome Get back to the music. Bapple, you know, Bapple, Bapple, you know, Bapple, Bapple, you know, Bapple, Bapple, you know, Bapple, deep inside of you, Bapple, deep inside of you, know, Bapple, deep inside of you, Bapple, deep inside of you, know, Bapple, deep inside of you, Bapple, deep inside of you, know, Bapple, deep inside of you. Deep inside, you know, Bapu, deep inside. 
great feedback for the last episode um, in particular the techno that I was playing so next couple of tracks are dedicated to you this stuff you can get your teeth into
This is Lee Coombs and you're listening to Meet Katie on Lowering the Tone. This is Chevy One, you're listening to me, Katie, on Lowering the Tone. So I have a fair few shouts to give out. All of these people kindly donated some money to the bank. Okay. Richard Goddard 
Anthony Smith, Louise O'Donnell, hi Louise, Mike Bulmer, Brendan Rowan, Muriel Price, Simon Wesley, Peter Thompson, Jonathan Rose, Helen Smedley, Craig Edwards, Ben Carstez, Johnny Hunter, Thomas Sherland, David Dixon, DJ Mon, Mark Presker, David Hartlin, Lee Sadler, Devon Roy, and Griffin Mink. Thank you so much for all your generous contributions. If you head over to the new website, that's loweringthetone.london, there's a donate button. There's also a Bandcamp button on there, so it will explain how you can help in that capacity. But, as always, if you want to get involved with the show, please just share the link. That is a massive help. Okay, don't forget we got an interview with Sid Griss coming up. But before then, we get some more music. You're listening to Lower in the Tone with me, Meet Katie.
little track from me and dopamine to believe in me you can pick this up free at the lot 49 bandcamp page alternatively you can buy it on beatport
listening to me, Katie, on Lowering the Tone. listening to this show you need to go to lowerinthetone.london hit subscribe Yeah. 
you for listening to me for the last hour. Hope you enjoyed it. Been a bit of a mixed bag this session. I think that's about it. Let's get into the interview with Sid Gris. Exclusive. Okay, I'd like to welcome Sid Gris, my good friend. So lowering the tone. Thanks for having me. That's all right. We're doing it in my friend's front room. Uh, thank you, Nicole and Memo, for letting us do it here. Um, we all have the sickness, so um, I do apologise in, in advance if, I'm, if I cough, splutter, or make kind of s- sniffling noises. <laughs> I apologise if I cuss. <laughs> You're allowed to swear. It's fine. Fucking Um Right. Thank you. Uh, for coming and uh, we're straight off the back of new year's eve party at uh, new bohemia bohemian is it bohemia bohemia uh, uh, the armory which was massive yeah it's one of the biggest parties i've played at for you um yep. two stages um a lot of um acrobats <laughs> and um other sort of visual artists going on um stanton warriors scum frog it was a um, collaboration with you and some other Vaudevere Society yeah. and some Burning Man camps such as Opulent Temple District and the Dusty Rhino. Yeah, it was um, it was huge. It was huge. Um, yeah, it was a great night. Yeah, it was a Let's big, not forget Ben Coda. And know. Ben Coda, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So let, let's get on this dive straight into it. You're a DJ, a promoter, um, obviously famous for your involvement with Opulent Temple, but you know your career dates dates back long before opulent temple so um uh let's just go back over a little bit of history of um you know where you come from how you got involved with the san francisco scene and where you kind of started sure i grew up in the desert near joshua tree in southern california during my high school days i moved to santa cruz which is about 90 miles south of san francisco to go to college and then moved up to San Francisco to go to graduate school, where I got a doctorate in clinical psychology. Because my other life, I'm a child psychologist. Yeah, smart ass. That's right. (laughs) And during my time in grad school is when I first got introduced to the San Francisco clubbing scene, which obviously had been raging, unbeknownst to me, um, since the 90s. But I was more into rock and alternative and grunge and that kind of um, sequence of music through the 80s and 90s. But uh, a couple friends dragged me out after a night of working because they knew I needed to get out. And a monster was born. <laughs> <laughs> who was who was on the San Francisco scene back then? Uh, this was 1998 and Spunday. Uh, was really big. They were kind of the pioneers, one of the pioneers in the San Francisco scene for bringing out uh, really the a lot of British and, and Euro DJs along the kind of global underground vein of that time. Right. So Sasha Digweed, you know, that whole progressive trance into progressive house scene. Yeah. Carl Oakey, Dave Seaman, when it was Nick Warren. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole vein. And so that was the music that I was first exposed to, that, that kind of uh, progressive house, progressive trance of the late 90s. And that certainly shaped my application 
of what I was trying to do with events when I first started throwing events because the first Opal event was in 2001. It was a benefit for the group home I worked for at the time, which was a nonprofit group home working with crazy teenagers at San Francisco General. All right. Yeah. And I, I say crazy in, in, a, in a loving fashion. They were damaged, traumatized right. urban youth who thus became crazy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so our first benefit was uh, Opal and Sunday Presents. That oh, was, wow. That was the birth of Opal. Yeah. Jesus. Is that is that the same sort of era as, or is that before, like the Wicked Crew, like that, uh, that, it That's was post Wicked Crew's kind of peak. Um, that first event we did was in 2001. And I think Wicked um, isn't going a long time. They still pop up and do events every once in a while. But I think late 90s was more kind of their, right. their full moon, Santa Cruz, Beach Rave, legendary um, parties that they did. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember the first, first time I came here, that, you know, that sort of tribal house was called Rave. Yes. Whereas it was totally different from where I was from, but right. it, it sort of suited it because it was quite quite a, like, um, a mass audience would converge mm. on their parties. And it's, um, a very San it? Francisco sound. Yeah. Garth and yeah. Yano and Simon. Mm. And they moved over to H Foundation. Like That sort of got involved afterwards. I suppose mm. it's all West Coast, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. West Coast house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were you know, interesting days. Mm -hmm. um, so when, so once once you sort of decided to, so you went straight in the throwing parties. You know, was you DJing at these first parties or just? Throwing? I was putting myself on the DJ lineup, which means that I did DJ, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing, <laughs> and so that translated into me playing the chill area. Right, because a lot of our events back then had chill areas. Um, and so mixing down tempo and other kind of more chill tracks, right. there wasn't too much pressure to mix. So that's, that's how I got started. And then my girlfriend at the time bought me my first set of turntables and started buying vinyl and, you know, finally knew what I was doing enough to play more up-tempo stuff. Right. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, chill, chill out stuff's making a comeback. Yeah. Have you noticed? Absolutely. It's, it's getting back on the map, you and, know, and with events. It is. And some... So-called dance music is so chill, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when deep house becomes so deep, it loses yeah. the house element. Exactly, <laughs> yes, yes. Down the K-hole. Yeah, that's it. Um, so from there, if, um, you know, I you know, I can only talk about my own experience with you. But I think I played for you, it must have been... 2005, yeah. I think. Yeah, good, Halloween. Yeah, good 10 years ago. Because yes. um, Bass Nectar was on the lineup That's as well. Right. This, this is right. before he was the superstar he is now. Exactly. Um, I look fondly back on that flyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a good one, man. Um, but I remember at the time you, you asked me if I wanted to go to Burning Man and it was the way you explained it to me. I just couldn't think of anything worse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, I was like, desert? Yeah. And <laughs> I know? do what? And I pay my own way? Yeah, this doesn't make any and sense. And I don't get paid for playing? Why? <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, it took a long, long time for me to catch up and um, you know, but, kind of yeah. get, back, get on to what you were saying. Um, that is a standard learning curve, which yeah. with most DJs that i invite not so much anymore because the word is out but certainly for a long time yeah mm -hmm. oh man yeah yeah i sort of regret that mm -hmm. <laughs> um but what was it what was the turning point where you went you know I, i'm i'm a i'm a promoter doing opal which is you know your your personal you yeah. know club events um and uh 
expanding it into a massive sound system that sure. it isn't today. Yeah. How did how do you make the transition? Well, I I like to think most promoters that I know start out fairly idealistic in terms of falling in love with the scene and wanting to manifest your own version of that flavor. That was certainly true for me. I was going clubbing all the time after that first night in 98, almost every weekend in 99, 2000, and then finally in 2001, um, organized my first event with the promoters whose party I'd been going to religiously. So um, I wanted to throw events both to raise money for charity at the time, but also to kind of just put my stamp on the local scene um, I was attending a lot of underground parties that had a lot of influence by the then just burgeoning Burning Man culture in San Francisco and kind of wanted to combine some of what I liked about the Sunday scene, which was more the music, and what I liked about the underground scene, which was that it was more artsy, intentional, less commercial, um, and just the quality of the crowd was a little different. Yeah. And so... If you go out in San Francisco for any uh, period of time in the underground scene, you're going to hear about Burning Man, Burning Man, Burning Man, and eventually you're going to go because you're like, what am I missing out on? All your friends have gone. And so I went my first year in 2001 and had a, an amazing time, just went balls to the walls the entire time. And like a lot of people came back as a Burning Man convert, you know? where I was really inspired by the creative effort that went into what people do out there, be it yeah. their camps, their art cars, their costumes, etc. And so the following year that I went to Burning Man in 2002, the camp that I was with, we did our own project, which is building a big art car. And so I dove headstrong into that, um, helping build it over a summer some of my opal parties became fundraisers for that art car project okay. um, because I was trying to help us out, you know, get oh, to what our was goal. The, name of the art car was with the Garage Mahal camp. <laughs> the Garage Mahal, fantastic. Yeah, yes, and I think it was like the Ganesh Mobile or the Shiva Mobile or right. something like that. Yeah, uh, still still runs today. So in two thousand three after having gone two years, the year before, did the art car project, had been throwing Opal events, you know, knew that it could raise some funds. I got approached by a friend who was more of an artist fabricator type who wanted to essentially partner to make a sound camp with my skills as a fundraiser, organizer, promoter, his skills as an artist to actually build things. Okay, what's his name? Rich. Rich Martin. All right, okay. And so that's how the first Opulent Temple was born in 2003. We partnered with another crew to kind of share labor and resources. Um, right. That was an underground collective called Infinite Chaos. They were kind of more of a both DJ collective and performance-based collective. And so the first Opulent Temple was called the Opulent Temple of Chaos. And it was called Opulent Temple because the theme of Burning Man that year was Beyond Belief, which was kind of a suggestive spiritual theme. And so there was a lot of art projects and, and sort of narratives that year around temples, churches, spiritual stuff. Right. So 
an opulent temple sounded pretty good. Yeah. And uh, the Infinite Chaos crew was, you know, the chaos connection. So the opulent temple of right. chaos. Yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, um, right, well, we've got, um, <laughs> um, obviously there's there's a few years in between there and now, um, but how, how the hell did you sort of manage to introduce introduce a lot of like um international djs onto your lineups um or or is this or is this interconnected through opal because obviously you know this is how i met you and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure i'm not the only i'm sure a lot of people have met you through your own club nights yeah and then got involved with opulent uh, after that you yes. know this is the connection um but you know how how did you manage to get you know some of the bigger names to sure commit you know <laughs> And Opal was one gateway, but certainly not all. I, there's a lot of DJs who have played Opion Temple that have never played Opal because they're just too big for our britches, essentially. Right. right. Um, but I was going after artists that I liked their music and or I knew them from at least meeting them at a Sunday club night. Right. And or they just seemed like they would like Burning Man. So... Our first camp in 2003, we got Sandra Collins to come out, which at that time she was pretty big on the progressive house and trance scene on the West Coast. And I had met her at Sunday nights. She seemed like she would like it, and she loved it. The next year, 2004, we had uh, Defuse and Hybrid was out at Burning Man and played for us. And Scumfrog as well. Scumfrog's another funny example because I just saw him at a Sunday show and he was just a total character and I knew he'd like Burning Man, so I approached him. He's American, so it was a little more feasible for him than some right. of the Euro guys. And sure enough, came out and loved it, right? 2005, things kicked up a lot um, because we had both Paul Oakenfold and Tiesto play for us <laughs> in 2005. Um, for yeah. free, <laughs> for free. Yes, yeah. Yeah, they were both. Which is huge. unheard of, really. Yeah. <laughs> Else, elsewhere in the world, I mean. Exactly. And I only really got both of them through some luck um, and subtle manipulation. Um, in that, I had been going after Oki because at that time he was one of my gateway DJs and producers. That Global Underground New York was the first. Um, electronic music CD I ever really like listened to over oh, and no. over again. Um, and, you know, this is before either of them had totally crossed over and cheesed out. So, for what that's worth. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going after Oki. The agent, um, of course, you know, wanted us to cover costs and do things that we just couldn't do. Uh, he had actually been in 99 for another camp, so he at least knew what it was about. And uh, eventually I got a call from the agent that uh, wasn't going to happen because it was going to cost too much money for him to go out there. Meanwhile, I'd been talking to uh, some of Tiesto's people because he had been touring with Sunday and God's Kitchen and wanted to just check out Burning Man because he had heard of it. They knew me. We got connected. And so he ended up coming to stay with us with no promise to play. Right? We didn't put him on the schedule. <laughs> but when I told Oki's agent that it's okay, I'm not tripping that Oki's not coming because now we have Tiesto. Then all of a sudden, Oki found the money to come out. <laughs> I'm sure he had the money. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. But he only wanted to spend it when yes. he thought he was going to get kind of upshined at Burning Man by this, you know, Dutch guy. He helped get started, really. So 
you know, those are just examples. And then it snowballs, right? Um, a lot of great local DJs, of course, played for us, like Bass Nectar. Um, you know, we got connected pretty early to Lee Coombs because yeah. he was really connected to the San Francisco scene. Um, well, it was Lee. Lee. Lee was the first person to get me a show in San Francisco at um, Hectic Eclectic, uh-huh. which was a, in a bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was how I connected, you know. Me and Lee were both staying on um, Felix the Dog's sofa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's how we, we managed to get over here. But yeah, it was Lee, yeah. Lee's introduction to San Francisco. That's how I got started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he brought, he's, he's introduced a lot of people, a lot of UK DJs to the san francisco scene as well you know yeah yeah but yeah you know sorry i'm sorry for interrupting no it's you know it's that friends network and it kept going um in that you know coming into 2006 and in different ways seven eight and beyond when your kind of roster grows of who you can reference yeah. that have played for you it kind of slowly but surely builds your credibility with both artists and agents to be like, oh, well, if this guy gone, maybe there's something to it. Maybe I should send my guy out there. Or, oh, maybe yeah. I should go check it out. A sort of buzz is created, you know. Yeah. 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 You have that, certainly within the DJ community. Or, or the agents, you know, with their rosters of like, you know, well, maybe you should try them. Maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and once people get talking, mm-hmm. you know. And for context for, you know, especially the Euro audience that, that might not fully understand how Burning Man works. Burning Man is not a typical festival that books talent. They really only subsidize the art and the large art pieces that kind of decorate this dry lake bed where the event takes place. But then they open it up for theme camps to come and essentially produce their own stage. And they don't do anything for those theme camps, not even free tickets. Well, not- this is a kind of, it's a little bit of a bone of contention that gets Absolutely. brought it's- up a lot about yeah. about the allocation of funds, yeah. you know. But, you know, I guess it started out as an artsy, arts-based thing. It did. Yeah. Um, way more um, kind of anarchy sentiments with uh, the... <laughs> Guns, co- back, yeah, back in the yeah, day. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh Cacophony Society, which was kind of an underground arts collective doing stuff in San Francisco. Um, and then, the, you know, these other elements um, came together to start what it was. But then the ravers, so-called, started showing up because who doesn't like a party in the desert you know, <laughs> with art and guns? Um, fire. Yeah, exactly. The ability to do fire, be loud, and, and take drugs and party all night. So... Burning Man was never interested in having a music event. They were interested in having an artsy, underground, uh, alternative event. But because they obviously opened the door to other people and communities in the the arts world, then the dance music people started showing up. And at first, they actually placed them away from the main event because they didn't like all the thumpa-thumpa. And... One night during that period, someone driving from the so-called techno ghetto back to the main event site um, hit a tent. Right. And yeah. so they brought it back together mostly for safety, but put them on the outer rim of the city so they wouldn't be so bothersome. And it's evolved 
because of camps like Opulent Temple into one of the premier music events in the country, yeah. if not the world. The world, yeah. And that's through absolutely no support from the Burning Man org, other than having an event that we could show up yet at, which we certainly appreciate. But uh, that's sort of not quite good enough for most of us. But it brings a the the music element definitely brings a lot to the party. You know, you know, it's right. The music. This is just in my mind. Is that the music element brings a lot of revenue in that gets allocated to other areas within that. Absolutely. And I guess that's where the bone of contention sort of starts. Absolutely. You know, yeah. is, um, we generate a huge amount of revenue for the event, which sells out now every year. Yeah. Uh, and it certainly sells out in large part. I'm not saying majority. I wouldn't go that far because I don't know. But certainly in large part because people come knowing they're going to have an amazing music experience and there's going to be world-class talent there Yeah. Um, at one camp or another. Now there's many and everyone comes out and plays for free doesn't cost burning man anything but obviously they're <laughs> reaping the benefits of <laughs> yeah. our efforts yeah um well you know i guess that's um i guess that's our, their prerogative isn't it it is yeah um, we can choose to do it until we don't want to do it anymore that's the point isn't it is that if i guess if everyone was that unhappy with it they just wouldn't do it and sure but, that, um, that is one perspective i guess my counterpoint to that would be it's designed and thrives on being a participant-driven event. And so to ask the participants to essentially produce what's cool about the event, but then not air our grievances about what's not cool, um, I'm yeah, personally Do you ever get a chance to bring that up with the, Many with times. The, with oh, the, yeah. um, the main oh, yeah. organizers? Yes, many times. And the, the short f summary of the answer is, the music scene, while art from one perspective, is not the art that we support with our event. <laughs> okay. It's and a funny one. I.e., if you don't like it, stop coming. Someone else will take your place. Which is kind of probably true. Mm -hmm. you know? It is. Um, but maybe not to the level, you know, some of you guys. Because, you know, there's, uh, there's other camps that, you know, just, you know, all from all over America, they, you know, they bring such a mad you know there's almost like a battle of sound camps in there with yes, that has just, developed yeah, yes yeah i know that there's a, there's a a friendly rivalry with roots society <laughs> between every other camp <laughs> um, yep. tell me yep. about that <laughs> well well you don't have to but well, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear your perspective sure there's inevitably an air of competition amongst creators you know whether it's cars websites, theme camps, you know, mm. everyone wants to be the best at what they do. And so naturally you're looking down the street and seeing what else someone else is doing. And you, know, you might admire, respect, or begrudge, whatever the response might be. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some of that. I think by and large, the spirit has remained very cooperative. Um, and I've had most of the main players from some of the other camps that might quote unquote be competition for people, production or talent play at Opulent Temple and vice versa. Yeah. We certainly help each other with resources as needed. Oh, or, you know, a forklift went out. Oh, we need diesel. You know, we know we can go to those camps and no one's going to ever say no. So there's that. I think a more recent trend, though, that kind of 
changes the dynamic is the presence of more millionaire funded camps, right? Right. Because a community funded camp like Opulent Temple, which in action means, right, we already know we don't get any money from the org for anything we do, but nor do we have the millionaire backer who's throwing down a big chunk of change. We raise all our money through our fundraising events and through camp members paying dues. Um, Other more recent kind of high profile camps, say like White Ocean or Robot Heart are funded by millionaires that don't require the community buy-in to have their creation. And so with that just comes a different dynamic. It's cool they're out there creating art at Burning Man. I respect that a lot. But, you know, in some ways I know from direct experience and other things you just hear, it just comes with other problems. It comes right. with other issues. And and there's always some natural resentment because camps <laughs> like ours are busting ass just to you know make it happen and... Someone just else get can enough write a money check. to do it, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we'd all like someone just to write a check, to, so we can all nice? accept it. So we can art. do our art exactly. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. If you're out there, benefactor, <laughs> yeah, please contact us. Uh, well, actually, that gets us nicely onto a question that um, Dom Smart, um, neuro driver, who I had on the last episode of Lowering the Tone, um, he asked a question about um, how has it changed, you know, since you first started to where it is now. How, how what's your, what's your views on, yeah. on the development of burning man you know well, i won't i won't dwell too much on burning man but in the same breath it is fascinating because you are a kind of um what i would consider an expert on it you know yeah. and we have a lot of i've had a lot of people on this show to all mention it it seems it is very relevant um but you have an insight that's a lot more in depth and also time wise you've been going f- since the beginning mm. um so well, yeah we're, we're 2001 keen, I, I, I think the official beginning was 96 but yeah, right. long time okay long that's a that's a lot longer than a lot of my friends have yeah. been going so um we, we ask a few more questions but um, dom smart asked about you know what the development of of um burning man how, how do you feel yeah well the obvious answer is it's gotten bigger in every way my first year there was probably 35,000 now there's about 70 and they could sell more tickets if they were allowed to by the BLM um art cars have gotten bigger sound systems have gotten bigger the status of a lot of the DJ names that show up have gotten bigger and some of that's a natural evolution I think but also is fueled by a certain vein that I kind of referenced earlier where there's this um, inevitable connection between art and ego. Yeah, right. (laughs) Where naturally you have an artistic vision and you're referencing what everyone else is doing and you think it's got to be bigger to be cooler, you know? And so a lot of people go that direction. Um. I would say another vein of change that's kind of related to what I was speaking earlier to with the millionaire things is really a reflection of our Western economic um, societies in that there's growing inequality, right? You have way more money at the top and less in the middle and, and more at the bottom. And how that has played out at Burning Man is more millionaire-funded art cars, millionaire-funded sound camps, and 
this big contentious issue around what's called plug and play camps where people with a lot of money pay that chunk of money to stay at a camp where everything's provided for them, right? Someone else has come in, built the tent, put up the shade structure, provides the meals. Um, they just walk in and walk out. Exactly. Right. And so that's definitely been against the traditional ethos of Burning Man being about radical self-reliance because yeah. that's about the opposite of radical self-reliance. <laughs> yeah. um, but there is a lot more of that. People with money who want to... Yeah. They check want, Burning Man off their bucket list. They want list. the experience, but they're not really getting the whole experience because they're... They don't want to work for it. Well, I've, I've always found that a lot of Burning Man, and what I take away from it, is actually quite the the the, the hardship you have to go through to mm. make it through that week, you yeah. know. Um, it, you know, you, you know, like when I've played at your camp, I've chipped in, and, and even Absolutely. though I've raised money, I still want to kind of, I don't, I feel stupid if I don't help with sure. being involved. Yeah, but you're a wanker if you sit in your RV while we're busting our ass yeah, and thinking Absolutely. You're not a wanker, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> well, some might disagree. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that, that that's, uh, you're right. It, it, you know, I do agree with you. It goes against the, the, the ethos is do you, you want to get stuck in you you know it's that whole thing of bartering and mm-hmm. sharing you yeah. know if it, yeah. you know if you're participating you, yeah, yeah it is it is yeah it's, it's participating in the overall event um as we all know is that you know it's nice just to wander up to someone when you're hungry and say oh, do you want some whiskey and they mm-hmm. give you they give you a a burrito or something mm-hmm. you know, whatever yeah. it may be yeah, yeah. Um, whiskey and burrito you've clearly uh, been to burning uh, yeah <laughs> for breakfast <laughs> um all right well um this um so, yeah so but let me let me speak to one other piece um just because i it's relevant in in that certainly the music trends of burning man change with the music trends and you know general dance music culture in the same way sometimes slightly ahead sometimes slightly behind when i first started I would say the dominant sound in 2000, 2001, two was Psytrance and Breaks, which are very non-commercial, non-successful music, but that's what was rocking at Burning Man. And that's, you know, partly speaks to the kind of leading edge underground sensibilities that a lot of the participants had. And Breaks being a soundtrack at Burning Man had a huge impact on why Breaks is still a soundtrack in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and you know, seems like London, Spain, and Australia, and not really that many other places in terms Russia, of a thriving it, scene. I mean, Russia. parts of Russia, mm. you know, St. Petersburg and uh, Moscow, it's got a um, decent following. Nice. Yeah. Sorry. Go yeah. On. So the the break scene in San Francisco is a direct line from the break scene at Burning Man, and and in various degrees, it it's gone the other direction. I would say the last couple of years at Burning Man, way more deep house and deep tech. Yeah. And I think that follows a trend of more of the you know, bigger p- picture musically and dance music. I think globally, yeah. deep house has definitely hit its stride. Yeah. You know, um, definitely, you know, there's a lot of good deep house. And mm-hmm. um, I guess when you're wasted, you know, sounds, <laughs> sounds kind of cool, you know. <laughs> um but yeah, this sort of leads me on to um, the the kind of the highlights and the lowlights. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna mention this because I've heard 
I've heard you mention it, a tongue-in-cheek thing, at a, at a camp meeting um, one year. And uh, what was the bamboo stage? Yes. <laughs> well, every year we have found it important to build something new. You know, our own crew and creative folks get together to take on a project that adds to our overall stage production, right? So we don't take... Uh, stage decking and LED screens, and there's our camp because right. that's lame, and that's not what we believe Burning Man's about. Some camps do do that now, and that's lame, in my humble opinion. That said, so we make our own stuff. So every year we come up with a new project. One year it was this very overly ambitious, huge bamboo dome structure that we utterly failed and and it didn't ever make it up and probably shouldn't have because it was probably <laughs> unsafe and who knows if we could have even taken it down without a small dynamite charge oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um that was a lot of money and a lot of time put into something that uh never manifested and it's the only time we utterly failed at a project a learning so, curve yeah, absolutely now it's just known as the bamboo disaster right because this is how i heard it from you i was like and i just wanted to put my hand up at the meeting and go can we just elaborate on this bamboo stage because you you said it so flippantly and everyone's like yeah, yeah. And I, was like, I didn't know the story mm-hmm. so there you go um, so highlights, um, I guess that's one of the low lights, probably the lowest. Yes, yeah. de- definitely one of the lowest. Many, many highlights. My immediate m- reference for a highlight question is just the kind of musical moments that have come together. Um, like in 2006, we had Bass Nectar, Stanton Warriors, and Freak Nasty play back-to-back a- at a time when music was changing and so freak nasty everyone thought he'd play breaks but he played dubstep yeah um bass nectar was kind of in the middle between mid-tempo stuff and breaky stuff but of course well bass heavy stent warriors did what they do and you know that was one of the nights things just went absolutely mental yeah and very memorable another night we had armin van buren and infected mushroom play live with their live band i was there yeah when infected mushroom played live yeah yeah they played back to back and that was amazing the night you and shack tag team on a saturday night after the burn yeah that was one of my highlights absolute highlight yeah uh the first year carl cox played for us uh which i believe was 2008 was again just memorable and magical and there's certainly more yeah Yeah. carl's a regular he is he's been fully baptized into the burning man cult yeah he's um he's he's um he's he's been involved with you guys for a while hasn't he like you know on on all fronts even raising money and yes carl has been amazing uh we first brought him out in 2008 he came out again in 2009 and then it inspired a global underground release that he did called That's Black Right, yeah. yeah, called Black Rock City. There was a few Black Rock Desert. There's a little bit me. of argument. People, people kind of weren't quite sure what to make with that. Some of the people, I, I saw a little bit of backlash from some burners because they said, yeah. "Well, he's um, he's um, monetizing his experience." It's like, well, he doesn't need to. I think he's just kind of making a reference to it rather than exploiting it but that's my opinion i think he was paying homage yeah that's what i thought yeah and it was done tastefully he didn't call it black rock city he called it black rock desert 
the picture they use for the album cover, you would have to be you know, very much in the know to know that picture was taken in Burning Man. Right. right. Yeah. And yeah, so he did that. He's played some of our fundraisers, um, big shows for little to no money to help us get out of debt or just show up again. He continues to play our biggest nights um, out there. He played our annual Wednesday night white party just this past Burning Man. And we're in conversation about maybe collaborating in some form for the 2016 burn that's still to be determined. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, I guess watch this space. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with regards to um, well, both, both your entities as Opulent Temple and as Opal, um, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Um, not like um, like online. Yeah, um, meaning not online. I mean online. Yes, you online. Know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the big monster Facebook is certainly the easiest. We have a page for Opal Productions. We yeah. have a separate page for Opulent Temple because they're really different entities. Of course, I have a fan page for Sid Gris, which so. people should definitely check out. Absolutely, <laughs> like that shit. <laughs> Sid. Um, so that's what leads me on to you know once people do connect with you there's a there's a few people on the Facebook that are asking the obvious question of like how how do they get involved with you know either of what you're what you're doing mm-hmm. um, you know how 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 do you go around recruiting people and mm-hmm. and what what's the process involved Yeah, well as it relates to opulent temple, it, it's a great question because of the way it connects to the whole DJ thing out there. Um, we talked earlier and I get questions every year without fail. How do I play at Opulent Temple? Right. And the answer is very simple. Join the camp and work your ass off right next to us. And that's how you get a slot in most cases. Now, if you're more of the international level producer, DJ, and we go after you to recruit you, it's because we love your music and we want to be, you know, we want you to come set the tone for a night at Burning Man. Obviously, that's different. But for most people that want to play Opulent Temple, it's not that hard because all you have to do is work for it. Just get involved. Yeah. yeah. Um, don't send me a mix because I won't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what you yeah. did with who. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, showing up time. to work matters. You put in the time and you will work your way up the chain, so to speak. We have about 14 core members who are the main doers in the camp. They're not all DJs, but I would say a majority of them are. And they all started out you know, as essentially no-name bedroom DJs, but who wanted to get involved. And so they worked up their way up, and then they get scheduled in these really amazing opportunities to play a high-profile situation like opening for Carl at Burning Man, yeah. going after infected at Opulent Temple, you know, these kinds of slots that you're just not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, but by, you, send, by sending a mix to a promoter. <laughs> exactly. But, but, but you can um, by working for it. So back to your original question, how do you get involved? Just message us and tell us you want to be involved. And then any event that we throw, show up and help out. Help yeah, out so with setup. Stay hi- for highlight st- your skill, whatever it may be. Yeah, stay yeah. for strike. Yeah. Um, anyone can I've carry done that a before. box. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is some difficult shit. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, after you've carried things back and forth enough times, then I'll be happy to hear you play. All right. <laughs> well, there you go. That's how to do it. Yep. 
Um, <laughs> do you want to? Um, while we're on the subject, we should name check um, the players, the, the people involved. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Um, guys like Billy Seal and Vinkelman have been with us since like 2004. Billy Casaza, Dulce, Drew Drop, Icon, Graham, Cause, Brian Williams, Brian Peak, Aliki, Mike Butler, Thor, Isabel. Um, names that all work behind the scenes or in front of the scenes to make Kimba. it happen. Kimba with the Opal stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and that's, that, that's, that's with the, with the, with the Opal thing is that, is it the same deal? Do people get involved on um, a, a volunteer basis to help? They the certainly scenes? can. Yeah. Opal's a different animal because most of what we do is just San Francisco club based events. Right. There's not as much kind of manpower needed. Kimba's my partner in throwing Opal events and um, musically, she's also a great DJ and resident for us. So there's not as much room, but certainly if people want to get involved on that side, they still can. It's just yeah. a matter of being tenacious enough to stay in my face. Okay. I have one more Burning Man question, which came from my friend Kim Island from uh, Australia. Mm. Um, and he said, um, have you ever thought about doing anything um, more regional, like regional burns? Because there's a lot of offshoots all yeah. over this country. Well, all over the world, in fact. Yeah. Um, you, you've thought about getting involved in anything so that, regional? That, that's a two-part answer. In the Burning Man umbrella of regional events, certainly we'd be super interested in doing something with someone anywhere. My wife is from South Africa and I have some contacts there to, to do Africa burns. But walking through the logistics of that, you come across the same hurdles as Burning Man, i.e. how are you going to pay for it, right? So if you're going to have an opulent temple presence at a regional event beyond an opulent temple DJ showing up, which would be cool and I'd love to do it and please fly me out if you want to. <laughs> If you're going to bring any stuff that is more associated with what we do, it just costs a lot of money. Yeah. And from my understanding, a lot of the regional events, they prioritize their funding towards the art and not the music to mimic the mothership events mistake of the same ilk. So the logistics of that become very difficult. How do you actually do that in action? So there's yeah. a long way of saying I would love to, but haven't been offered enough just so we can meet our costs, right? Makes not, sense, yeah. yeah, we're not trying to make any money off something like that, of course. We just want to show up. Um, the second part to that answer is that, you know, in my advanced stage of my involvement with Burning Man, I'm much more interested in creating my own event that touches some of the sweet spots that the Burning Man event does, but doesn't mimic the same mistakes that I see in fairness that their model does. So um, I'm working on something that won't be a Burning Man event, but will have a lot of what's great about Burning Man. And that, right. that's much more where my interests lie. And that'd be here on the West Coast? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Working on it. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. And yeah. I guess um, if anyone wants to follow that, um, go to Sid Gris. Yeah. Like the page. That's right. All like right. that shit. <laughs> that's it. See, it's um, that's the social media thing. I mean, it's it's just taken over. You know, I remember the days of flyering to get your yep. standing at um, you know, doing a club night and people having to give you their um, 
email address or yeah. or even before that their home address <laughs> so you can mail them like a, a flyer to let them know what you're doing you know yeah. it's um it's so easy to access anything now but it's also that there's a sea of shit out there as well so yes. you have to wade through it or pay to be yeah, waded to, through it yeah which is really annoying or have it in people's face yeah yeah yes yeah well that gets me on to um the next question um i'm sorry i've got so many pieces of paper here and i've got a lot of questions i'm trying to find the right one um so with with um with um t- talking about more club stuff yeah um like, well recently i played in seattle for you um and i've played in la and i know that you do these sort of west coast events um you do both though don't you opaland opulent temple mostly opulent temple right yeah opulent temple is a brand that is really recognized anywhere burners are right and opal not so much out of the city and so we've built a nice alternative scenes in these other places where we do a couple big annual events in la um, three annual events in seattle and continue to try to expand markets, cities that we can do other opulent temple events. These follow the same model as our San Francisco events in that they're nonprofit. And all the money raised at these events go towards our 501C, which is the nonprofit entity that we have you know, to essentially raise the money to produce what we do. Um, we don't pay ourselves um, out of the party profits to you know, do the events. It's all for the cause well um i don't know how you know how i guess everyone has to make a living through work yes um, and to be able to do this you know yes everyone's got a day job i know i have a day job as a child psychologist luckily it's just part-time or i wouldn't have time to do all this and obviously the opal events um are for me right yeah they're your thing Mm mm-hmm Thing. So, could I ask you one of the questions about? Um, and I guess this is more designed for Opal because um, it's club based. Yeah. Um, um, what's the future sound emerging? Uh, certainly from San Francisco, and um, what's getting you excited um, yeah, currently? Sure. You know, or what? What, you, what? The way you're moving your bookings towards? What? What are you feeling at the moment? I would say I'll, I'll try to keep a long answer succinct. <laughs> um breaks and for a while quality electro house a la miles dyson early wolfgang gardner um must what it must not mustang what's the guy's name that sounds ford, like mustang ford ford, ford um more fustang or something <laughs> i think that's right yeah i'm just got there in the end yes na- name dropping producers <laughs> who were making electro house i used to like um, that was a big part of our sound for a while, but as most know, what used to be electro just becomes total cheesed out EDM. EDM, yeah. Big synthy breakdowns, obnoxious fucking squealing sounds, and things that just don't interest me at all. Mm. So I, I think that that movement certainly accelerated the cool factor of deep house because people needed to hear something that wasn't bashing them over the head a bit more substance yeah and subtle yeah and you know sort of the next step beyond that is the sort of deep tech sound and deeper deeper house sound that like i would say robot heart sort of personifies 
Um, that has a big following. Um, that hasn't really defined what I'm trying to do because that's not much of a dance floor experience, I think, for me. I still certainly have artists I totally believe in. And I still love the the sort of fusion tech funk sound mm -hmm. that Lot 49 mm -hmm. represents as far as, you know, more... Techno oriented. Yeah, yeah. but still breakbeat sensibilities yeah. and non-commercial, um, but dance floor friendly. Yeah. I mean, that's still a sound I play and I like, but you know, it's a relatively small pool of artists you can bring out. Yeah, there's not many people that you're either it's it's kind of all or nothing. People kind of side with one genre. You, you, it's not so many people. Well, I, I find it's not so many people that uh, that that just enjoy multi-genre. You yeah. know, who are comfortable mixing up techno within breaks or even yeah. the say, or electro tech and you know just that it's not for everyone. Um, And like you say, it's um, you, you can find you're 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 not of not not enough of anything to appeal, which which can work against you. You know, I mean, if you've got if you've got a, a big audience and you're smashing it up playing bangers, of course you're going to rock it. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to bring people to a show and they think, oh well, he does this and he mm -hmm. does that, and there's a, a certain expectation, then you know you can fall flat in your face as well. Yeah, and I have shows that I feel really liberated in my greater freedom to book artists I really like that I'm actually not so dependent on their draw, though obviously that's still important, because it's a show that I just know is going to do well based on everything built around it. So New Year's Eve is a great example. We we have built that show to be an experience where we're not yeah. bringing in mega headliners. Um, we bring in a lot of art, performances, yeah. Burning Man crews, reputation, and you know the whole kink factor of the kink.com association with the Armory, who own the building and provide some performers. So Stanton Warriors, Meet Katie, Ben Coda, Scumfrog, like that is a Sid Gris loves this lineup example, <laughs> right? right? The year before it was Simon Shackleton, uh, Lee Coombs, and we had Scumfrog again yeah. on New Year's. Um, The, the, those are great so some of my club stuff and those acts will work but you can't do it too often yeah because it just won't work yeah new year's eve isn't it's a big night for people to go out so yeah. you, you got half the battle you know they want to leave the house yeah <laughs> it's exactly. just you know just trying to get people to realize that you're putting on a massive show yeah you know, there was the, i would actually just like to highlight uh the acrobats were fantastic yeah they're I from Bodavir society yeah they're amazing, amazing. yeah Total um and what i liked is when when i was playing i noticed that some of the girls doing doing what they're there what do you call it it's like sexy gymnasts <laughs> i probably don't i'm sure they wouldn't agree with that but that is the official title <laughs> sexy gymnasts um but i noticed that they they were trying to like orchestrate their movements to coincide with what I was playing. So they were getting the tempo. Nice. And as it, as, as they came up more and more doing stuff, the timing was better and better and better once they were sort of getting into the groove of it. Mm. Um, and um, the girl that I spoke to before, she said, oh, this is a collaboration. And I really like that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I've tried... I mean, as one always has to do as a promoter to always expand the talent pool with new bookings. 
For example, we have Wookie coming in January who's never played for us before. He's one of the few seemingly consistent fresh names brought up in terms of who's making breakbeat and, and bass music that um, people seem to be responding to. Other artists I've gone after, like Hot Sense 82 or yeah. Shiba San or even Dusky, they're just you know out of reach financially, yeah. even though we can be pretty competitive. Oh, Dusky but, have just blown up. Totally. You know, same as Hot Sense uh, Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was an engineer for a lot of other people, you know. That he's, mm, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a lot of people that he was... Um, behind the scenes engineering so although he's been around for a while you know it's just his projects eventually exploded mm-hmm. um but yeah i agree um you know names you just mentioned are fantastic mm-hmm. you know, um I like, I like particularly like dusky mm-hmm. um i've never seen them live but i do listen to their mixes and i play a lot of their music on this show um so yeah you know kind of yeah talking of which um so what are the, what are the sort of the DJs and sort of producers uh, um, doing it for you at the moment. Also, you know, not just internationally, domestic, you know, kind of here in San Francisco, you know, who's been, you know, kind of, I don't want to say climbing out the local scene, but that kind of sounds a bit um, derogatory because the local scene's actually quite kicking here. So, yeah, um, but you you know what I mean. Naturally, people want to climb. Yeah. It's inevitable. Locally, I would say Dirty Bird is still the kind of biggest name that's come out recently as far as a label and the artists that are associated with that label. And they pack out their, I think it's a semi or like a bi-monthly now consistently. And was that still at Mezzanine? Yes. What it was, yeah. yeah. And some of their guys like, of course, Claude Von Stroke and Justin Martin and then Worthy and Christian Martin, they're certainly growing out of the San Francisco scene by virtue of that. In my search for sort of accessible house that isn't too deep and isn't too obnoxious, um, I I stumbled upon what Beatport's now genre uh, checking as indie new disco. (laughs) But really to me, it's just good house with good bass lines but a lot of kind of 80s remixes touches and this is yeah. like from Croatia Squad Me and My Toothbrush um, a little more commercial but Nor Impure a lot of guys on Enormous Tunes right? Um, Platinum Doug these are names that um, I've been buying a lot of their tracks and playing a lot because it's it's hitting that sweet spot of that kind of groovy accessible house that, right. like I said, isn't too banging and isn't too boring. I got introduced to Ski Team this weekend. You heard these guys mm-hmm. from Canada. Um, I know it's not nothing to do with San Francisco, but you're just all, uh, mentioning things that just float in your boat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was quite impressed with with their way that they put their sort of sets together you mm-hmm. know just i had a shambhala set and i thought it was fantastic nice. um yep so um so with um with um with the names that you just mentioned who, who are the ones that you put in on because i know worthy's done a lot of shows with you as yeah. well over the years we had worthy at our anniversary last year um i had croatia squad at our halloween gig that we did at the armory oh, cool. and that was his san francisco debut he was on that bill with Rob Garza from Thievery doing oh, really? a DJ set. Okay. And with Polish Ambassador. I don't know him. Yeah, yeah. He, he's another guy that's 
kind of on the verge of blowing up to that next level, um, especially on the summer festival circuit, more mid-tempo, very eclectic, interesting music. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, and I guess um, these people that feature in your mixes and stuff to... Yes, know, yes. Sound, a, is that a, a SoundCloud a, thing? Yes, a quintessential Sid Griss set, um, as it often is, is my Burning Man set. So whatever my big opulent temple set of the week is, I post it. And my last one from Wednesday night, the night Carl played this past summer, the first half is all that indie new disco. Right. Um, that I mentioned in the second half is all Law 49. Yeah, I did, I did notice we, we were quite represented on that. Thank, thank you for the support, Sid. That's really cool. Absolutely. Well, um, that, that's, you know, the best of what I had in my music arsenal that needs to be played at Burning Man. Fantastic. Yeah. So um, would you mind if I asked you a few sort of personal questions? Yeah. Um, just because um, we, we we have a lot in common and, I, you know, I know that, I know that some people that listen to the show have a similar kind of um, outlook on, on music and their careers and, you know, how to, how to juggle a family um, and try and create something and, you know, just try and try and sort of get out there with sort of, you know, fam, not, I don't mean family restraints is probably not the right thing, but, but they are kind of restraints, you know, you're not responsibilities, you're, responsibilities. You're, you're not a, you're not like a single man where you smoke dope all day and just hit the studio all night. And, you know, that's how, you know, and then that's it, you know, obviously, you, you know, you've got to, you've got to make a living and you have two children, didn't you? Yeah. Um, how, how do you cope? Basically? It's tough. It really is having the freedom of your pursuing your art is really a province of the young and unencumbered in most instances, you know, 20s, early 30s. I got into it at a point in my life that I was already well past my lack of responsibility phase. I didn't have kids yet, but like I said, I was in graduate school and I was pursuing a professional degree. And the art endeavors around throwing parties and DJing were certainly just out of love and passion and, and hobby for a while. And it was only a sort of side income that was just bonus to whatever I was doing. If I made money, great. Obviously, I didn't have the luxury of losing money, but of course I did at times. But I wasn't dependent on it. As it's developed, I've tried to make it work, this double life of still being in my artistic expression, making enough money to live off it, but still having also my day job as a sort of more reliable income, though it's part-time. I actually work for the city of San Francisco, so the, the pay is not tremendous, but the benefits are good enough because my kids are covered, so that's been part of the equation. And as I'm sure people hear, the real estate market in San Francisco is one of the worst it's in the history of all joke. mankind. It's an absolute joke, yeah. yeah. And I live in a two-bedroom apartment. Of course, my wife works. Um, we pay a lot of money a month just for childcare. We want to move out of our two-bedroom apartment at some point, and it's really hard to know how we're going to do that. Mm. Uh, most people in my situation leave the city, as happens you know, everywhere. Young families have to leave the city and I wouldn't say the suburbs would be our destination, but somewhere less expensive than here across the bridge to the east or across the bridge to the north seems pretty inevitable barring unforeseen circumstances. And I don't know how long I can 
Yeah, keep it up living in the city with a family and well and and even just relying on events to be that crucial part of my yearly income to just cover my bills i've been making it work and i'm going to continue to try to make it work i certainly don't make my life easier by doing (laughs) opulent temples still yeah (laughs) well this gets me on to you your sister actually posted a, a question on my page and she asked like where the hell do you get all this energy from well, mainly it's I still love it enough to have the internal drive to make it happen. I think things you're passionate about, in most cases, give you the drive to make it happen. And when they don't, that tells you something. Yeah. Well, it's still exciting you. You might as well ride that wave, you know, why, you know, mm-hmm. why, do you, why you still get the sort of you know excited about throwing an event and you know yeah. when you start scribbling down your ideas of what you want this event to be you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i guess when um when um, that dries up and it feels like a job yeah it's probably the time where you question it yeah or, or even if it's not a job that makes you money you know even yeah i think that is more likely to happen before me losing the passion for it but we'll right. see you know my path forward really has to include enough events to make money to keep doing it. Otherwise I need to become a full-time psychologist and, and, you know, figure something else out, have a lemonade stand or something. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just get a gig where you just turn up every week and do a, do an hour and a half set at Ruby sky. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I don't know. Just use that as an example. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I still have some fires burning, as I mentioned, you know, if I can get some things rolling, it will, it will fill the need it needs to um, for someone who has the responsibilities that I do. Yeah, it's really tough. I'm sure you stress out as well. Oh, it drives me mental. Um, you know the stuff that I love doing, like like this podcast. I love chatting to friends. I love chatting to colleagues and people that I respect and I like. Um, I love doing it, but you know I can't monetize this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it would be lovely to, but then look. We all wish we could get paid for just doing shit that we love doing all day, you know. Indeed. Indeed. Um, is you know there is a there's definitely a balance of mm-hmm. you know fulfilment and also making some money, you know. And I I, I totally understand what you're saying. Is mm-hmm. that you know when when you're investing a huge amount of time in something that isn't making you money, you've just got to question it, especially when you've got a family. Yep. You've got to be sensible about it. Well, if you're not questioning it, your wife certainly is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why I haven't got married. <laughs> uh, but it still doesn't stop Nadia from mm-hmm. <laughs> questioning it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just um, get on to like I, I'm I'm interested in um, your plans for 2016. I know that you've mentioned something that could potentially be in the pipeline with Frockland Temple, and obviously I know you're not in a position to elaborate too much on that. But um, you you know with 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 what you're doing, sort of like you know your own career and mm-hmm. personally, you know, yeah. what, what you got on the, well, the horizon. A- another thing I've learned the hard way, as far as our events calendar is that it's really hard to make any money after may and before october (laughs) so what that translates to is it's almost not worth throwing an event from may to october because it's probably gonna just break even or lose money except in the most you know obvious of slam dunk circumstances which don't come along very often and that's because the the festival circuit as I would imagine it has in Europe as well, has just grown 
every year there's just more and more campouts, more and more festivals. And so people spend their money, their time, they get real focused on getting out to see. <laughs> exactly, doing the festival thing. And then you also have kind of Burning Man fundraiser season, and that starts filling up the the events calendar. And if you accidentally end up on the same night as one, even if your lineup is pretty kicking, burners who are a big part of my core audience, they're going to go to the Burning Man party uh, often more than your cool club event with two awesome DJs you booked. That's mm. just the reality of our market. So in January, I have Wookiee. In February, I have an all-night tag set between Simon Shackleton and Jesse Scott. I Frog. saw this advertised, yeah. Yeah, that'll and be wicked. That'll be a good one. March 5th is our Opal 14-year anniversary with the Crystal Method. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh. And then April, I got to figure something out, but I know a lot of my time will go into our annual Opulent Temple Sacred Dance White Party that we do in San Francisco. That's a right. big production. And, um but I got to figure out something I can make money on too. So I'll nice. try to figure out a good April show. And then, like I said, you know, May to September-ish, I'll do some opulent temple stuff, but I won't do a lot of Opal stuff. You know, right. We'll do our annual white party in LA. We'll do Seattle. I'm trying to get one rolling in Boise. Oh, yeah. And in Austin. Boise's got a great scene. It sure does. Um, it does. I, people don't understand this little kind of out the way town yes, a red state enclave unbelievable <laughs> i played there on a thursday night a, a few weeks back and you know people come out mm -hmm. um yeah you know there was um they, they had a festival called um aesthetic evolution, evolution. Yep. and um that was fantastic yep. um one of your guys a fire guy um greg briggs greg um was involved in the fire yes. element of it and um yeah very greg good briggs show. is an awesome human yeah. being yeah definitely um, so there was something that you just just to backtrack slightly because you're talking about the summer stuff. Um, you used to be involved with Love Fest, which yes. was a massive. Um, well, it was it was a, it was connected originally to Love Parade Berlin. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah what that was about and what yeah. happened? San Francisco is and was the perfect place to host a Love Parade event in America and I was part of a group of people that got it launched in 2004 and it was licensed through the Berlin event as a love parade and that was when they were licensing events outside the Berlin event much more like there was one in Chile and Tel Aviv and a couple of other places I believe so the first love parade was in San Francisco in four five and six and then they had some internal changes on their side and I think Dr. Dr. Mott. Thank you. Yeah, Dr. Name? Mott. Dr. Mott? Is, yeah, is that, Mott. Was that the... M-O-T-T-E, is that all right? Uh, Mate. Mate. Oh, yeah. Mott. That's it. Yeah. Thank God. you. Your German's better than mine. Yeah. <laughs> he, and I'm sure the team, I, I think for whatever reason, they had to essentially sell the rights and a new sponsor came in and they didn't want to renew licenses and other events they had done them. And so we kept the event going. We just changed the name. Um, from Love Parade to Love Fest, and then later Love Evolution, and we kept it going in seven, eight, and nine. Our 2009 event was absolute mayhem <laughs> and amazing, but we kind of outgrew the site that we were at, which was Civic Center in San Francisco. It was very packed. 
no major incidents, but it made the cops nervous. You know, it's a big open event that anyone could walk up to. So we were in negotiation on how to do our 2010 event when the tragedy happened at the Love Parade Germany right. that summer where people were crushed, I think, in a yeah, tunnel. The, yeah, the, a wall came down, I think, and then they got, they, yeah, it all just, yeah. yeah. And that really kiboshed our ability to do it in the city again. Right. And so in 2010, we actually moved the event to Oakland in the parking lot of the Coliseum. And we knew it was going to take a huge hit with the attendance because a parking lot in Oakland is not as sexy as downtown San Francisco by any stretch. <laughs> right. right. And the parade was a kind of sorry excuse of moving stages in a circle around the event site instead of going down Market Street, which is you know, yeah. the, the heart of the city here. And But it was only you know, like 20 bucks to get in with an amazing lineup because the DJs playing the after party which was on site there at the big Oracle Arena, were playing during the day too. And we still just totally lost our ass on the event. Yeah. And we still owe money on that. Just cut your losses. Yeah. We we knew Oakland wasn't going to work again. And we tried to come back in the city in 2011, and the city just put up too many hurdles. The cops didn't want it. And so a great event was sadly killed by all those factors. Well, I remember when I played at it, and um, it was just mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, Seeing people, you know, as far as the eye could see, um, especially San Francisco. So it was very um, flamboyant, Mm -hmm. should we say. Absolutely. Um, And it was a real sight. It was lovely. and that was when it was in the Civic Centre and yep. you pulled up and mm-hmm. um, that was pretty amazing. But, you know, like you say, is that when they can reference a, a tragedy at the same event, even though they're different, yeah. in another city, you know, it's like, of course, they're going to throw up every boundary they can, you know. Yes, and they did. Yeah. Well, that's a shame. Yep. It's a shame. So, um, right, I've got, um, but just before we wrap up, um uh, anyone you want to give a shout to because obviously you you, you know you're you, you're part of such a big team and stuff is there anyone you you know that we haven't mentioned sure. I, know, I know you mentioned a lot of the ot stuff but um, yeah is there anyone else well my wife samantha for being patient and understanding <laughs> with my artistic pursuits and tolerating the heart palpitations that come with trying to figure out if you're going to lose your ass on a party yeah. or if you're going to make lots of money and, you know, everything's going to be great. So, Do you, you get really stressed out before a party or you I do. out of control now? I, I mean, I am not immune. I still stress out and I still take it personally when not enough people come, even though I should know better. I, I still can't help it. But a big shout out to my sister, Gina Grandy, who helped me with Opal from the very first strike and returning large heavy objects to <laughs> dusty uh, storage bins at five in the morning com- you know both of us completely knackered and she's still in the mix you know you saw yeah. her new year's eve with a new taking camera. pictures yeah <laughs> so gina's amazing um i mentioned kimba and, and the ot crew and and certainly i guess you know a shout out to the San Francisco scene for supporting us for so long. There's not many promoters still throwing parties that were throwing parties when we started in 2001. And some of that's because they're smart and <laughs> moved <Yeah>. on. <laughs> some of that's because they didn't have success. But either way, we're certainly blessed um, to still have the support of enough party people to keep going. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, fantastic. And um, right, before we wrap up, can I get some stings out of you? Um, this is Sigris. You're listening to Lowering the Tone with me, Katie, on blah, blah, blah. That's sure. Um, that'd be great if you could. Yeah. This is Sid Gris. You're listening to Lowering the Tone with me, Katie. And let's get another one for good measure. Okay. This is Sid Gris. You're listening to Lowering the Tone with me, Katie. Okay. Thank you so much for coming and do this. I know you've got a lot to do as you've oh, been explaining. Monday mornings are good. But um, thank you so much. And thank you for the weekend. That was um, an absolute monster show. And, um, you know. Anytime, man. Yeah. All right, man. Take care. Yeah. So there you have it. Episode 12, done and dusted. I wish I could get more of these shows out. Unfortunately, life just seems to be getting in the way. I'm going to do my best though. I've got a lot of people lined up to do interviews with. Um, and also, Ben Code is going to come on board at some point this year and host some shows himself. Switch it up a little bit. I need to give Andy at Made Interactive a massive shout. He's responsible for putting the website together, lowerinthetone.london. Head over there and you can get all the information you need regarding the show. All right. I think that's it for this episode. Take care. I find it looks the same, but everything has changed.